I'm Patrick O'Dell. I do Ethically Laddered, which is a skate TV show. And I take pictures sometimes. And that's it. All right, cool. Um, where'd you grow up and how'd you get into skating? Well, I didn't I didn't grow up anywhere. I moved around a lot. But um the first time I skated was I saw Back to the Future. And the next day, then the next day I tried to pull behind a car and skate. And I don't even think I got to buy a board. I think it was like a board that was already in the house. Hmm. It was like a Nash board and a Veriflex board. Did you have older siblings? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think the board was already there. And Nash, maybe the maybe the Nash board was already there, and then maybe I got a Veriflex board from Toys R Us, you know, with like copers and everything. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I tried to pull on the back of a mail truck and it stopped and I nailed it and then tried to bomb some hills. A rough start. <laughs> yeah. I didn't learn about tricks for years, but, um, you know, we just, this is the eighties. We just like mm-hmm. skate around. The so were you, were you, uh, instantly kind of hooked was it that type of relationship with skating or was it like a back and forth like trials and tribulations kind of i think i was into it i i don't think i ever stopped but i didn't know about tricks or mags or anything magazines or anything Mm -hmm. and then i was moving and these kids were like this kid was like oh you skate i was like yeah i skate he's like can you ollie i was like i don't know what that is like, you don't know what an Ollie is. And I think I saw one magazine. It did make sense to me. The, you know, it's pictures of people grinding and I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Never seen a ramp or anything. And um, so then I, I think I got some magazines at that point. This would have been 89. Okay. That I actually got magazines. It could have been just before. Maybe it was just before somewhere around there. And I actually got magazines and started to learn how to Ollie. Got you. And then, so at that point, had you settled down enough to like be consistently with a group of people that skated? Yeah. I had friends that skated. At what, well, was anyone starting to film skating at that point? Like, or is that much later? For me, it was later. I'm sure cameras existed, but there is no, there was no cam- video camera. I took some photos, like on a, um, like a point and shoot that my family had. Mm-hmm. You know, they, my parents probably had a video camera, maybe, but we didn't. I didn't film us skating at all. Okay, so you never, it never occurred to me. Got you. So your relationship with like film and skate did not progress until much later on. Yeah. Because till like into the nineties. Gotcha. Yeah. People probably thought to film, I wasn't good at skating, so it wouldn't have been anything I wanted to film anyway. Um, it would have just been me trying to learn how to Holly or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't remember seeing a video camera. There's no footage. There's no skate footage of me. Yeah. Um, do you remember wanting to like work in skating? Like once you started to get older or did that just kind of happen? 
Yeah, I think as as I got more into it, I wanted to be a skate photographer. Cool. I really like the photography, and I put like skate photos up all over my wall. And I um, was interested in the photography part of it, and imagined being a photographer. Because mm-hmm. um, so you had a camera, and were you? doing like photo stuff in like high school or how are you learning to do? Yeah. Some of this I'm imagining right now is middle school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was into photography. The pictures aren't good or anything, but I would like, we would go skate and I would take pictures with a point and shoot. It was just a point and shoot that my mom had. And I just take it to go skate. So these are like pretty blurry point and shoot Mm -hmm. photos. Mm Mm-hmm. In the end, high school, I got like a SLR camera later, way later. So when would you say that your like career officially begins like in skateboarding? Because I, I think I read somewhere you went to college. Was that for photo? Yeah, I went to, well, it was fine art. I went to okay. Art Institute. San Francisco Art Institute in San Francisco. It's not there anymore, but um, to study sort of fine out art photography. So were you thinking that you were going to work in something completely outside of that and you were just pursuing fine art? Yeah, I looked at some commercial photography schools and it probably would have been smarter to do that. But I just didn't know what I was doing and um, went to San Francisco Art Institute and um when it turned into a career is tough to say because it's like, depends on what you mean by career. Yeah. I guess I more so mean, and I can obviously chop this up, but I more so mean like, when were you starting to like work in skating? Like when it wasn't just like, Oh, it's me and my friends and I'm shooting photos. It's like, I'm trying to get jobs in skating. Yeah. Like I did contributing first where I didn't consider it a career, but I had met photo editors of various magazines and would go out like a session and send pictures. Meanwhile, I had a job doing something else, mm. and, you know, and you always think maybe it'd be cool to be a skate, like one of the big dog skate photographers. But, um, I was just, it was close something closer to a hobby. We like sponsored skater, you know? And, um, it wasn't until I got out of school Thrasher hired me. Michael Burnett at Thrasher hired me to um, be a be a on retainer with Thrasher. Oh, cool. Okay. In New York. So, did being in San Francisco play like a pivotal role there? Um, was that how that kind of relationship came about? Yeah, I think I moved to San Francisco mainly because I liked the skate scene. I thought like, oh, sure. people are skating. Um, but Thrasher didn't really need a photographer there. They already had photographers there. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I moved to New York. I just had to finish school and then I moved to New York, which I probably should have moved to anyway. Um, and it was why do you there. say that? It was just funner for me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I should have come here the whole time instead. Mm-hmm. And, um, I kind of found what you know the niche or the 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 world I wanted to live in, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that was in New York City. And I moved there. And then Thrasher didn't have a photographer in, in on the East Coast anywhere. And Michael Burnett gave me the opportunity to be a you know, like a re, like on a retainer, like contributing photographer. 
So you would do like sort of like projects almost like they would be like, so-and-so is out there filming for this part. Like we, or they're doing this editorial for so-and-so like, can you shoot this? Yeah. Or usually it would be a skate tour. Like a company would be on tour Mm -hmm. and I would try to get on it. And And you would go on it with them. Well, I had success on it, success with like the Baker team. The Baker was on their one of the, well, their very first tour. Hmm. And I just was like, do you guys have a photographer? Can I come be the photographer for Thrasher? And just kind of got my way onto it. And hmm. then from there, Andrew got me on a, a like an America tour. And then I met Jerry and I'd get on like an Enjoy tour. Just various companies. Sometimes Thrasher would send me on something. They'd be like, who's going to do this? But I always tried to get like the tours with that I had friends on the companies. Because mm-hmm. I did have a question here too. Like, how were you kind of like initially garnering like cl- like closer relationships with these like these pros? Was it those tours? Like, you would be sent on one, or were you just meeting people just through bumping into people in New York? I don't know. It changed over time, but. Early on, you'd, you'd kind of shoot with whoever you could get, like whoever mm-hmm. would shoot with you. Because you, when I moved to SF, if I saw, you know, a pro, even if I knew him, I'd be like, hey, can we shoot photos? And they'd be like, kind of like, not really. Mm-hmm. Or they weren't wanting to shoot with like some random kid. Yeah. But I found that you kind of shoot with people in your age group. So when I when I was out there, Cairo Foster or Kenny Reed or um, Carl Watson, they were like amateur skateboarders. So they would shoot with the amateur photographer. You that know, makes sense. like they and were more they're like, you're, they're like your age and maybe they're not the best or maybe they don't have, you know, some big photographer wanting to shoot with them anyway. So mm-hmm. they would see you or you'd just be on a session and maybe like grab some pictures. Um, you really got to kind of like weasel your way in, but also you can't start with like legends, you know? Totally. You know, when I was shooting with Jerry, Jerry Sue and Reynolds, Andrew Reynolds, I would say they were pro by the time I shot with them, but they weren't like what they are now. You know what I mean? They were, they were just like, they were like my age and we would shoot photos. Like it wasn't, you know, so now if you were coming up with a photographer as a photographer, mm-hmm. I, would look, I would look for kind of like ams on brands and people that aren't quite so blown up. You're just like, oh, let's just shoot with like, you know, that's how it usually works. And then, if you, and then if you get good and then if you get good, you can shoot with somebody good. You know? I mean, not that those people aren't good. But, yeah, that would be how it works. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the talent pool is still like, you know, you can still shoot amazing photos too with those people. Cause those amateur skaters are still fantastic. Like mm-hmm. they're still so good. Um, so it's not like you're degrading your personal photo work by any means by taking photos of amateurs. So that makes sense too. Yeah. Yeah. If I was trying to get into skate photography now, I would, I mean, it'd probably be the same as then. I would, it just be like go to spots where people skate, meet some people that are hungry and trying to like come up and shoot with them. 
and they'll probably be down. I don't know. I don't know how it works now because everything's a little different, but yeah, I would just imagine because there's people like, I remember when I was shooting, I would start out, I would, wouldn't see big photographers. I wouldn't see them at spots. And now like you won't see me at, sitting at a spot, right? Like I have a kid, I'm busy, I'm tired. I'm not just posted up at a good spot waiting to get a photo. Mm-hmm. But if you're 16, 17, 18, 19, trying to like bust into skate photography, and you could just like post at a spot and you'll probably get like find some stuff to shoot, you know? Yeah, you almost like, <laughs> you almost like wait for them to come. Yeah. And it, but it takes a little bit of a salesmanship. You know, yeah. To, um, and I guess it kind of like feels the same for something like, uh, like interviewing too uh you just kind of have it and hope they'll come um by based on uh what you have um over time but um like you can't just get a big person to start i i, I don't know some people can but um well you're i mean your podcast would be the same way because i did this with my skate show like when i called cardiel i don't know i didn't know cardiel and he's just like, oh, well, you did an episode with Reynolds and you did one with Spanky. So, yeah, I'll do it. it exactly. I think 100%. you hit me up and I was just like, oh, there's an ep- there's a podcast with Jerry here. Like, all right, Jerry did it. I'll do it. Yeah. and I didn't, that, even, I didn't even listen. I just was like, oh, there's Jerry. Cool. Yeah. If he'll sit through it, like, exactly. And that's, I think that is how a lot of things work. Because um, you're like, okay, I hang out with that guy. I trust that guy. If he'll sit with this person, fuck it. And you're just like, yeah. RDL said that to me. Just like, yeah, you did one with Jerry, sure. Right. Um, so I wanted to ask, why interviewing? Like at what point do you step or go one step further, I guess, from shooting photo and eventually be like, hmm, I want to do long form interviews of these people that i'm around because i think i want to tell their story well some of it was some of it's luck like just just a big coincidence but um Mm -hmm. but when i was shooting for thrasher i don't think i was very good at skate shooting skate skating and sometimes i even get bored sure you've shot Recently, I've been on sessions, like shooting a trick, shooting video, but I still was like, ah, this is taking forever. Like, this is gnarly. And realizing maybe I have, like, too much ADD or, like, I can't. I don't have, like, sometimes maybe I don't have the patience for the skate tricks. Mm -hmm. And back then on film, I don't think I particularly was, like, gifted at shooting skate photos. But I like the storytelling my, you know, my favorite magazines was like Big Brother, where it was like storytelling. Mm-hmm. I always liked documentaries. And so I had success with the Baker tour that I went on the first one because my goal was I'm going to be a lens for somebody reading to know what it's like to go on the Baker tour. So I'm going to I'm going to go on this adventure and I'm going to tell you about this adventure I went on. Yeah, like, tell that to them. Mm-hmm. The, the best photos from the trip were like portraits and kind of like um, the stuff besides the skating, you know, the trashed hotel room 
or or whatever. And so it's like, this is what it's like going on the skate tour. And the pictures were my least, the skate, the, sorry, the action skate photos were like my least favorite part of the trip. Mm-hmm. So I ended up at Vice uh, anyway, and um, they were launching a channel and they they said, do it. Would you be interested in doing a skateboard show? And I didn't know what it would look like. I kind of imagined skate TV from Nickelodeon back when I was a kid. Like, we're going to the Zoo York to look at how they print boards. Mm-hmm. And then check out these amateurs. I thought it was going to be segments and skits and kind of yeah, exactly like skate TV. Just, just like, we're at Tompkins with these crazy skaters. And then what happened was... I just naturally, I started doing the interviews and then I started realizing that we could license old skate videos. And this was a little bit pre-YouTube or very early in YouTube and all the videos weren't uploaded. So I, I was like, wow, if I digitize a skate video and have the skater talk about it and take it serious, um, this is kind of the content I want to make. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it just took a little bit of luck and a little bit of like, other people's ideas like the show was the idea of doing a show was somebody else's idea i just made the show the way i thought would be i mean the way it is but yeah. um yeah it was just luck i don't know or or whatever right place right time and um but it's weird because when the show was on break like when i wasn't doing episodes i considered myself a photographer so if people ask me what my job was i would say i'm a photographer right but i haven't gotten a photography check in like decades like a check for photography maybe maybe here and here and there here and there but Mm -hmm. um, but that's what it's been tried and true since the beginning is photography but in my head i'm like i'm a photographer yeah but probably i'm like an interviewer video content creator or something but that's just not it's like in my head i'm a yeah i'm a photographer how were you learning to like do them in the beginning and structure them because like from the beginning they were very professionally very professional looking they were layered well like you said you would you would have them kind of explaining their skate career and have that layered very nicely, but then you would tie in their personal life and sometimes like really intense trials and tribulations that they would go through, like drug use and like allowing that to be a part of it and have people take a step into a skater's life that like maybe we would never be able to, like not even in a thrasher. So like, how are you going about that and like compiling those? Well, Vice, when they started the show, they didn't assign me any budget, mm-hmm. any budget, but they gave me a bag with like a mic in it and a camera, maybe two mics, whatever, a mic and a camera, and a tripod. And I was like, no one's ever going to give, they're never going to like give me money for budget to do anything, but I'm going to, I want to do it. So there was no other filmer or producer or any. It was just the, the camera bag. It was like a little doctor's bag with like a camera and crap in it. And I would just set it up and interview people. Or I would, who, well, you know what? Actually, the early ones had a crew. Uh, sorry, Dustin Dolan's Bill Strobeck filmed 
And there was another one we filmed that actually had the Vice team out there. Oh, interesting. I just realized they wouldn't – nobody was going to cut me a check to film anything. It was just a disorganized company, and I wasn't like a high priority. So I think I would just call people and set up the camera and set up the tripod and ask them shit. Mm -hmm. And – and I think naturally it becomes like beginning, middle, and end. You just go, how'd you get into skating? How'd you get sponsored? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd you turn pro? And then at some point you're like, so what happened those years? Like, I didn't, nobody heard from mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they might be like, well, I was doing drugs. <laughs> and then and you got back into skating. And then what are you doing now? And it just, it's a normal arc of, anything yeah uh, that's how they ended up like that because i just sit there and kind of like okay let's go through this let's go through this timeline right and i don't think any of the skaters i mean it's happened here and there some people don't want to talk about drugs or talk about anything they've gone through but for the most part people aren't that um whatever i would just somehow manage to get that stuff i just i remember like being younger and watching them for the first time. And so they reminded me in a way in a long form, like being like a long form, like day in a life for some reason. Cause I remember like day in a life videos were very popular when, like when I was first watching YouTube and being into skating. And then I started watching epically latered and being like, okay, this shows a different side of skating that I didn't realize. I see like them talking about their career sitting down with this guy, but then it's cutting to them like reflecting on like really dark times in skating or like harder times or getting out of skating because they have a family or getting out of skating because they got arrested or certain things. And that was nice to see. Like it was really cool to see uh, someone show that side. Yeah. I think a day to life format, we kind of, do that a little bit in order to decorate the episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really, it's kind of boring. Like when I watch a video, I don't know. I find myself like scrolling around and getting yeah, yeah, cutting through like with it because sometimes maybe I don't care what what somebody does through the course of their day, especially now because everyone's on Instagram. If I want to know what that dude's doing. And just like look at their Instagram stories, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we still kind of film some of that because you you want to decorate it. But I feel like the meat of the episode is, um, yeah, just learning learning how people get through life, and um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if it's like fishing for tragedy, but. It's just sort of, um, it's just whatever. I want to know. I want to hear stories. I want to know what, like, I want to hear stories. I want to know how people make it. Yeah, I like, I think for for us on the outside too, it was nice as well. Because it sort of, like, not in like a, not in a negative way. I I felt it was sort of like this voyeuristic sort of aspect where we could look look at a a Reynolds and be like, holy shit, this dude suffers from mental health 
you know, complications, like an intensive mental health diagnosis, we would have not known that, you know, like you wouldn't know that this dude has like neurotic things that he deals with. But then when we watch that show, like it puts context in a person and sh- makes them feel more whole. So I thought the show was really n- had made it. The show was really nice in that in that aspect as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, the OCD one was interesting. There was Spike Jones's idea to go interview the doctor. An OCD expert, but um, which I've never done before or since. But, yeah, that episode was very special. Uh, that was one of the first ones I think I watched. Um, I always think about that doctor and what he told me about OCD. But um, I don't remember the episode too well because I don't I haven't rewatched it mm-hmm. since it was probably brand new. But um, I do remember interviewing the doctor and... Um, yeah, we've never done that again because usually he said this, you know, doctor can't like diagnose somebody without meeting them. Being yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't diagnosing Andrew, but he was just telling me what it meant to be OCD. But oh, um, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes that makes total sense. Yeah, like but, they would actually spend time with the patient. Like ethically, that would make no sense to just be like, oh yeah, see that person? Yeah, OCD. Yeah, that's like a rule of doctoring. You can't um, you can't diagnose somebody without. There's television doctors that I'm sure break this rule all the time, but mm-hmm. it's like you're not. You know, there's people I interview, and I I have like these little diagnoses in my head about what the deal is, mm-hmm. but I'm never quite sure because you know you can't. It's hard to get into someone's head, like know for sure. Yeah, I. I have it all the time, personally, because of work. But also, um, I'm, I'm a mental health counselor and, and my uh, professional work. Um, but also, like, you don't you want to spend like time, like a lot of time, usually with a person. But sometimes you can definitely tell. OCD is such an interesting one where um, someone deals with like uh, repetition to a certain point where they have superstitious like rituals. And the rituals allow them to calm their anxiety to the point where they can have like regular function. And that was the thing in like Andrew's um, uh, epically later, that was like a little bit like breathtaking um, in the way it was portrayed with his uh, three repetition. So I don't remember what is in the final cut of the episode, but I remember what the doctor told me. And he said, if you, everybody exhibits OC, does OCD behavior, Mm -hmm. everybody has like some things they do, like rituals they do. Right. But it's like setting the table or making the bed or cleaning your floor or mm-hmm. putting your remote control in a certain place or putting your car keys in a certain place or, you're, or hanging up your coat or d- doing laundry or whatever. Like any of that stuff could be OCD behavior. Sure. But there's a certain amount of it that's a little bit of um, flexible. It's like a gray area of like how much of it is do you, do you have to do until you become it becomes a problem right so like making sure the stove's off or making sure your door's locked it's totally normal right um how many times do you have to check until it's, it becomes ocd and he also thought that the skating is repetitious well because the sports that have a lot of ocd is skateboarding 
baseball. Baseball, yeah. I was about to say. Mm -hmm. As you're walking up to something. So baseball player gets gets to the mound. (laughs) Batting gloves, batting gloves. They're like touching. Yeah. Um, And... And I think it's because in, in other sports like basketball, you just like catch the ball and like try to put it in the hoop, whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to do all that. But this doctor also thought that the tricks themselves are repetitive. So in order to land a hard trick, say you're trying to like do a handrail. And, you know, every time it's the same ollie and the same board slide or crooked grind. And then the same pop out and the same trying to land. Mm-hmm. That if you start your OCD, if you start the ritual that, sorry, if you start the repetition earlier, you might have a better chance of landing it. You're basically getting in the headspace of trying the trick earlier by doing something. And it starts the rep- it starts the repetition before throwing your board down. Yeah. And, and that's- it might be a tool to help you. That was this doctor speculating, but I thought that was interesting. But yeah, I watch a lot of baseball. And it's the exact same. It's like batting glove, batting glove, marking the dirt, doing something, something on the uniform. And Just skating. to clear the head, right, before the pitch or something like that? Yeah, it just starts. It's the repetition begins. I don't know. And um, I notice – I watch a lot of baseball, and I notice like a parallels between baseball and skateboarding. And that's definitely one of them, sort of like madness or, or OCD. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I try to knock it out. I had that, I had that for a while with skating when I was trying to trick. I started doing that shit. I mean, before I ever met Reynolds or anything else in high school and I started doing all this like, um, superstition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I remember I had this one where I'm spitting every time before I try and spit. And then all of a sudden I realized I was so dehydrated. I didn't have water and I was like dehydrated. And I realized I like fucked myself over by spitting every try. Made yourself sick. And then I started going, okay, no more. And I, I stopped. I don't. If I catch myself doing a um, like a something like that, I, I try to stop. Like, okay, stop doing your bullshit. Because if I get nervous about something, I'll do things that are kind of OCD. But. Um, some of it's superstition and then some of it's like, whatever. I just try to like, I just try to like stop it before it starts. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You'll notice like the kind of neurotic skaters. Cause I agree with you. I think like, I think most skaters before they try a trick kind of have things they like to do to kind of clear their head before they try whatever it is. But then you'll see some skaters that are, not like that they're so free flowing that they just kind of take it as it is like i'll watch like uh like um oski comes to my mind or like there's like just certain skaters that just like take it as it is and just like make it up and they can just kind of do whatever um but i'm sure for certain single tricks maybe um they might clear their head maybe trying like a big stair set or like um something maybe more difficult um, but yeah, when we were skating, I wanted my board a certain way or like certain number of, I was like, I need these three pushes this certain way before I try this thing. And you knew, Oh, wrong, wrong amount of push. I'm not even trying or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen this full spectrum of, of skaters and they're, yeah. 
<laughs> you shoot escape mode. You have to kind of like work around the um, work around people's quirks. How have you learned to kind of over time like balance your professional relationship with people and friendship with people? Because um, I guess I've noticed that it seems like a lot of the people that you do interview seem to be your actual personal friends. And I could be wrong, but um, how do you kind of balance that? I don't know. There has been times where a professional thing almost made me have like a beef with someone that was like my friend. Yeah. I could say um, and there's things I'm worried about even going forward right now. There's an episode coming up where, you know, you get voices coming in and I, I was like, oh, my friend might not like this. This is like something... Oh, interesting. This could, yeah. come, this could come out and they could go, oh, I'm kind of bummed on this or something. Or I don't know. Maybe I'm like overthinking it. I mean, even the Nuge episode that just came out, there were two points where I was like, oh, he might not like this part. Really? Yeah, you just never know. And so. I thought the Nuge one was very, very like fun loving. It was, it was a very up episode. It felt like. People were worried. Uh, that he wouldn't like the the piercing sec- segment where he couldn't. Oh, go he, he yeah, I've never even seen him with the like dermal kind of. Yeah, we were like, oh, he's not gonna like that. And then at the end, neck faces quote. Oh, oh because I he's gonna him. bring it up. Yeah, I was like, he was like, what did what did neck face say when you interviewed him? And I was like, oh, he said he said how you always bring up tricks that you did. And you always brag about how you did Ollie. And he's like, what? I don't do that. I don't do that. Yeah, that was uh, and then it's the interesting the, point. It's the end of the episode, <laughs> and I do think Neckface is just making was making shit up. Like Neckface is just being funny. Mm-hmm. We just put it in, and it made me laugh out loud. So I was like, "Yeah, let's put it in." But I was like, "Nuge might not like that." But so, then he he seemed to he didn't seem like he cared. So you have been finding that sometimes it is difficult. Yeah, you just sort of make these things and you're like, I don't know if everyone's going to like it or um, I don't know. Uh, and then and then it's funny, yeah, some of these people are my friends and some kind of aren't. Well, like Nuge isn't like one of my friends, really. I mean, he is like we text now we kind of are we text more. I, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not saying we're not friends, but I, I think I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's like acquaintances. Yeah, absolutely. You get closer by doing a thing like this. We yeah. would text here and there. Here and there, I would text Nuge. Of course, I've always only had great interactions with Nuge. And not that I thought he was underrated, but when I was thinking about shows to do, I was like, oh, this guy's a good time. Like, I'm going to do Nuge. And um, Nuge was, you know, the first one back. But yeah, I wouldn't say we were. I don't know. I don't like hang out with them really. Now we've been texting a little bit. We text like bullshit or something, but we don't hang out. You know what yeah, I mean? I have because I ask it because, like, for me, even you know, I do interviews, and you like you do kind of form certain relationships with people, but they're they're still mostly professional and they're just kind of acquaintances, but sometimes I've interviewed people that I am friends with 
And it does feel like it changes the dynamic of how you want to run the interview. Like, do you want to go into this? Do you want to phrase this this way? Do you want to give them more creative control in the interview? Like, do you want to show it to them before you put it out? Like, do you allow it to change if it's a friend or do you always do it the same way? Yeah, I have, I have one that way I, my friend Tino, Tino Razo is one of my best friends or I was in the past. I'm trying to interview him for an upcoming episode. And I texted, he was like, I want to do it. I want to do it. Interview me for that. Interview me for that. So then I text him, hey, can I interview you for the episode? Like, are you free tonight? No response. Day later, like, hey, are you free tomorrow? Can I interview? No response. Hey, yo. can I? And I start to I look like so, it looks like we're not even friends because I'm like, <laughs> Texting him over and over, no response. And I showed someone, I was like, I thought you guys were friends. I was like, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't want to. People have a hard time saying no. Well, he said yes, but he had been drinking. Maybe we were out at a bar and he's like, interview me. And then maybe he like woke up in the morning like, fuck, I'm not doing that. Perhaps. I've, I've uh, I've done full interviews with people. And then uh, I've been like, hey, are we like ready to put this out? And then they just won't answer. And I think people do have a hard time just saying no or admitting maybe they aren't comfortable instead of and instead just, uh, you know, just don't want to burn a bridge. They feel I don't know. I don't know. Or don't feel like it's going to make it worse. Like Tino could just write back. Actually, I changed my mind. I don't really feel like doing the interview. But instead, it just leaves it. It just leaves it out there. Exactly. Yeah, it makes yeah. me feel it makes me feel stupid. Like I guess I'm never texting you again, <laughs> because it's like three texts with no answer. And then he liked one of my Instagram posts. He gave me like a heart, and I was like, "Just t- answer your fucking phone, dude." <laughs> That's just classic, classic new age behavior. <laughs> um. What do you what do you typically look for in an interview now? Like, because um, I know you have like the new season all premiering and news was this first one. Um, in the past, I don't know if you had a specific formula of who you were looking for, or if it was just kind of a natural thing. But um, what do you look for now um, for Epically Later? I don't know. Well, now I'm looking for some uh, some sort of inconsistency because... I don't want to, I've done so many. So there's already, yeah, you have a big catalog. There's already like six, 70, 80 of them or something. So it's like none of those people. And then, uh, and then a little bit of inconsistency because I didn't want them all to be nude. Like, like if I did one on nude and then I did one on um, another Baker guy. Yes. Yes. At that, that same age. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to hit different ages, different um, stages of people's like skating, so that each time the story can be a little different. Yeah, because you normally do people like normally like more middle aged. Yeah, well, the ones for television had to be exactly 50 minutes or something, and so I had to do people that could fill 50 minutes. Right, a career. Yeah, yeah. I guess I could have done 30 minutes and then opened it up to a lot more people mm-hmm. because 50 is a long 
fucking done. Yeah, that's a lot. And if I was like, of course, there's a couple episodes coming up where I think that people are young. I'm like, oh, these are young, these are young skaters. And then I actually get down to their age, and they're like in their 30s. But mm-hmm. to me, to me, it feels like children. Maybe not 30s. Maybe like late 20s. I think there's one guy. He's like 28 or something. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, he's like a kid. Yeah. But like, well, actually, these people are pretty. I don't know. I don't know what I look for. I just like try to map it out in my head. Now, so now the length can change. So there's a couple where I'm like, well, this could be like an eight minute episode if it wants to be. Oh, cool. Like the editor can stop it. So Nuge was 28 minutes. I think I saw a rough that was 35 minutes and was like, this is way too long. So we kind of like chopped it up a little bit just to um, get the runtime manageable, mm-hmm. not let it drag at any point. Mm-hmm. And then I got a new one. That same thing. It's like 30 minutes. And we'll probably cut like two or three minutes out just to like make sure it's tight and keeps moving. You know, I think it's cool to um, like change lengths as well. Like if you did do ones that were 10 minutes for certain ones, I saw it. Are you, are you actually doing one with like Stu cursed and like, no. Uh, okay. Okay. When you, when you, I mean, I would maybe, but we just met up to interview him for other episodes. For other episodes. Okay. So you, when you show those on your Instagram, those are you pulling for larger episodes. You like interview people for larger episodes. Yes, exactly. And I usually, I'm not that secretive about it, but I don't want to like tell about the future. Three months out from an episode. (laughs) Uh, say who the, all the episodes are just because it might as well like leave some mystery. Yeah. So sometimes the information kind of gets out there because it's like, it's not a secret when I'm in, at, you know, I'm interviewing all I'm interviewing like 20, 30, 40 people and telling them who they all are. That's so, a lot of people. Yeah. That's a lot of work interviewing that many people for, in, for interviews. Do so was for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then I just posted it. Cause I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like interviewing somebody new and different. Yeah, yeah, it's and nice. I have, and I didn't have to keep it secret because it wasn't he. He's not the subject of the episode. I got you, but yeah, um, but he's pretty cool. I mean, I wouldn't be like opposed to one on him, but it's not him. He was he was cool to see. I've I've just I've watched his skating for like a very a very long time. Um, he's just been with certain crews uh, in like the New York scene that I liked. He used to film with like. Uh, this guy Nick, who filmed like Lurk NYC videos, and then he was with like Johnny Wilson's crew, and now now he's like out in LA, I guess, on like Baker. Um, but just it was awesome to see. Like I was like, oh shit, is this an interview? I was like, it's great. I've never seen this dude really talk. <laughs> he was a good interview. If if I, yeah, but if I was doing an episode on him, I would have hit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no that that makes a, that makes a lot more sense. I, another question I was wondering, would you ever venture out or is Epically Later meant supposed to be completely for skating? Like, I know you've done like Harmony Corinne, but he's still kind of like in that like sphere. Like, would you ever go more experimental or like, like even in like Harmony's world, like the art world kind of film and stuff like that? I had thought about it a long time ago. I remember the advice 
there was a noisy, which was music. Mm-hmm. Do epically later, it's on musicians. It'll be like a crossover. Mm-hmm. And I hit up a couple bands, and nobody was interested. Wow. So I couldn't get it. And the guy would be like, hey, so aren't you going to do some music ones? And I was like, none of these people are going to say yes to me. Damn. And I don't think, I don't know if they would have been called epically later, or it might have been like epically later slash music. I don't know. Right, right. But like I, asked, I asked a couple people, and I think musicians are way more secretive or guarded or i mean i'm sure people there's our music documentaries but nobody nobody even like even entertained it it would just be like hey would you want to nope (laughs) all right it's not gonna happen Hmm. so music is where you would want to go if you if you well it just seemed it just seemed like a cool opportunity because of the vice thing right right and I feel like, I don't know, for some reason, I just like carved out this thing in skating where people will do it. And if I was like, oh, I'm going to do actors or something, it just seems like I don't have that cloud in that world to like yeah. get Because that's what it was with music. I was, I don't know. I can't like, I don't know why it just didn't, it didn't happen. Yeah. It, do you find it's hard for you to kind of get like to kind of get like inspired on like a interview now because you've done so many or like, or like, do you still feel it? Like, do you still feel the, like the fire to like, be like, Oh, depends I the, want to go get that interview with this person. No, I still feel it. It depends on the person. And now, you know, there's, we, inter- we were doing like four or five interviews a day. Dang. And when, when you get someone like, funny or exciting or someone I looked up to as a kid. It's, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's certain people that are like duds and sometimes it feels like, Oh, why am I wasting my time today with this bullshit? Yeah. So it's, it runs the spectrum as well. Of course. It's so true. I've done certain interviews where I was like, I had a lot of build up to it and I did it and I was like, wow, that did not go so good like i was like that was so boring or or something but then like i'll have certain ones where i'm like oh this is why i do it and i was like that was really great um and then it now i just listen for i just listen for the puzzle piece because i i start to know what i need and what sound bites i need and i'm just sitting there listening for this like this like checklist thing like Hmm. this is what i need from you Hmm. and i'm just listening for it and then when i get it i'm like yes if I don't get it, I'm like, oh, what a waste of time. But I'd say most of the time I like I love doing it. Yeah. I I struggle sometimes. I'll like and the breaks aren't even that long. If I take a break and I don't have anyone lined up, I'll like feel this like stress. I'm like, oh, people are gonna like forget about it, or I need to get a good interview. I need to get an interview as good as the last one, or people are going to think I'm tanking or like something's off. Like how did you deal with taking like breaks? Like, and. Oh man, I was thinking about this today. I think the breaks were good for me. I didn't want to take them, but now that we've come back from years off, Mm -hmm. I feel like this buzz, like I'm a band that got back together. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like, Oh, I always loved epically later. Like, I'm so glad you're back. Yeah, yeah. I get this like bump. 
Whereas mm-hmm. if I had been doing them the whole time, it would have turned into like, oh, I'm so sick of this fucking show. It's another fucking one. Same skaters over and over and over and over again. That the break, right? That the break kind of helped me. Because I had a bunch of, I, I guess, I don't know. I had some skaters that like, I don't, I don't, never mind. But um, <laughs> I had, I had people in, really interested in the show. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I don't know if this interest would be here if we had just been doing them uh, once a month. Like constantly. Did you ever have anyone else approach you for the show? Um, or has it always just been something that was tied to Vice? And did you always have um, complete like creative control over the show? Or was that something you had to fight for? Here and there. I think I had been approached here and there about doing something, but I never... Um, yeah, nothing ever, nothing ever too serious. Mm-hmm. But yeah, here and there. And a couple I'm glad I didn't do. There were a couple I kind of wish I had done, and a couple mm-hmm. I, I'm glad I didn't do. You know, someone will be like, I have this streaming platform. And then it's like out of business six months later. And I never really considered it anyway, but I was like, I think I didn't do that because they're gone. Though Vice went out of business, so I don't fucking know. I, but somehow it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, there's, there's been a few, I guess, but um, nothing nothing serious. Um, do you are you able to like work on other things now that you are like fully back, like working on epically latered or is that like kind of your full time? It's full time for the time being. Um, Mm -hmm. But we just wrapped, sorry, we just finished filming. And I think I'm good. I don't have to do anything other than watch cuts and do notes and stuff. Okay. Okay. Like refine and shit like that. Yeah, I don't think until springtime am I going to actually go shoot anything. I think we're done. Or no, that's a wait. That's not true. I'm going to go shoot on Monday, but I'm shooting. Sorry. We have a crew. I have a guy named Kai who's helping me film and Heath Kirchhardt is producing. So it's the three of us mm-hmm. are like the team together. Mm-hmm. But I have a camera that here and there I go out and shoot something without them. And I'm going to shoot a bunch of stuff in the next couple of weeks. That's just casual. Um, like I was going to shoot Corey Duffel on Monday. And I'm trying to get um, Alyssa Steamer and Jim Thibault. I live in Oakland. And so there are people near me. So without Kai, I'm just going to go film them and then upload the footage. Mm-hmm. And I did that on the Nuge one. A couple of the interviews are uh, just me solo. So I guess I'm not counting that. But um, for the most part, I'm done, not completely done, but starting to be done filming. And then the episodes, we batch filmed them. So we filmed a bunch at the same time and they're going to slowly come out. That's nice. So you kind of uh, have it months out. Right. Because it's easier to film. Sorry, it's easier to bulk film people. So if um, if I get Atiba to interview... I can say, let's talk about Nuge 
Let's talk about the next guy, the next guy, the next guy, and all of you need the five skaters. And that way it's cheaper from a production end to just... Yeah, instead of going back, like... Like, hey, Atiba, now I'm doing one on this guy. Well, can I come and ask you about him again? You know, I can just do it all at once. But Corey Duffel is one I'm doing... I'm interviewing him about a skater I didn't know I was doing. Or no, I knew I was doing it, but I didn't know he was friends with him. So I got to go back and say, hey, I forgot to ask you about this. So it's kind of like I'm just re-filming something that I forgot before. But um, we have we have about eight episodes completely filmed. Well, that includes Nuge. So there's like eight that I think are like pretty much done. And then they're going to come out once a month. So I had like eight months, eight months stack. So you're pretty solid. For... Good. Oh, so I guess what you're asking is if I can do other jobs. It's like, yeah, we're done filming. If someone wanted to hire me to do something, I'm like pretty much free. Yeah. Um, like, are you, um, are you currently like thinking about working on any like other larger like projects um, or like things, anything um outside of skating or do you plan to just continue working in skating? I don't have any other jobs coming up right now, but I have been approached about various things and you know, it's freelance, but Mm -hmm. my, we just stopped filming. I guess it was the day before yesterday. Yeah. So you're brave. I just, I'm just in the mode of that. Yeah. And then Monday, yeah, Corey Duff on Monday, and I'm trying to get Alyssa Steamer and Jim Thibault. And... Yeah, just because I've seen that you have, like, released a book before, and I I know about the photo work, and I saw that you did, like, a documentary before. So I didn't know, like, if when you aren't working on Epically Latered, if you are, like, actively just that much of a, like, your brain is always churning out things. Yeah, I have another photo book coming out that won't be till the fall. Okay. But um, I'm supposed to be getting the edit, the final edit. Like it's in the process of being made, edited. Someone else is edited. Sorry, I'm helping, but there's an editor on it. Mm-hmm. Like they're doing layout, or they're doing- yeah, they're doing the layout. Okay. And I'm doing the whatever. I don't know how to explain it, but um, <laughs> that's like another thing. Yeah. Uh, I there's like little shit here there going on in my life, but um. Uh, my head's just been in the show for now. Of course. I wonder, you said before, like how much you loved um, being in New York. Uh, why did you decide to go? Like, why are you living in Oakland? <laughs> well, I moved out of New York because it was expensive. Oh, it's gotten worse. <laughs> yeah. And L- well, LA got worse. So it was funny. I was yeah. like, I realized I was making all my money. All my checks were coming from my work in LA. Yeah. But it was all being spent in New York. And I wanted a yard. And I didn't go out anymore. Um, when I moved to New York, I liked going out till four in the morning and going to bars and party and whatever. Just yeah. With that. And then I wasn't anymore. And I realized I didn't like going to bars anymore and parties. So I just was looking at New York as like a money pit for myself without really getting much benefit out of it. Yeah. So I moved to Los Angeles because I wanted a yard and a dog and a um, 
space and the cost of living at that time was much cheaper. It's like a third of it or something. Like I remember paying my rent in Los Angeles at that point and thinking my rent was almost, it was almost funny. It was like comical. I had roommates and stuff, but I was like, wow, my rent was this here. And my rent's like, like my rent in LA almost turned into like a joke. Yeah. That then I really liked living. I think, I think I would live in Los Angeles. Um, whatever. I don't know. But uh, I move around a lot. I'm probably going to keep moving. But um, You like to, you like to move a lot. Cause you kind of said you were kind of like, like a little bit of a transient when you were like a kid. Yeah. I'm probably on my 15th city. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. You move a lot. But, um, but usually it has to do with work and it has to do with like outside factors. Not, I think, you know what I mean? There's like, I don't know. Shit happens and you have to move. Yeah. Is your, is your family like fine packing it up and uh, like moving? I don't know. Well, it's also my wife. My wife works in her job. Her work moves. Oh, so okay. Just, so you kind just, of have like a system. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm saying I'm living in Oakland now for her work and not for my work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. So I didn't, so I didn't just wake up. I didn't decide I wanted to move to Oakland. There was also like other people in my... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if there was some interesting skate scene in Oakland or something. There is, there is. I go skate these cur- Rockridge curbs and stuff, but um, we talked about it earlier, but not on camera. You've been interviewed actually like a few times, um, and I wonder like, what is it like to be on the opposite side of the role? Because you've been interviewing people for a while now, so you kind of know structure you know exactly how you like to do it, stuff like that. Like, what is it like for you to be on the opposite end? Do you enjoy being interviewed? Do you fucking hate it? What is that like? It's somewhere in the middle. I don't like it. Like, I don't... Um, I don't want to be interviewed, but I also do it... Well... Part of me now just thinks I just do it because, um, well, one, I'm like amazed that, you know, someone wants to talk to me or that, um, um, that everything could like come crashing down, you know, and, um, it's nice. I don't know to have like an opportunity. I mean, I don't know if it sounds shitty to be like, it's self-promotional, but it's just sort of like, okay, I have to, I have to show yeah like the show's doing good right now but it might not and if i if i don't like talk to people and get out of the house that i could be like squandering an opportunity to sort of i don't know i don't shit i don't know how to say it without being like oh this is self-serving but it's like um, you know, people could just as easily not want to talk to me, and mm-hmm. um, I feel f- grateful that even somebody would be interested. Um, with my show, I don't put myself in the show 
any more than necessary. I, I have to sort of remind myself to like force myself in. So I do the intro. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you'll be in for like two seconds kind of like, and there's been a few episodes where I didn't do an intro. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, the idea was to give it some, the show, some continuity, like, so you knew, so you, when you watch, you know, you're watching epically later because now there's a lot of shows that might look similar. So mm-hmm. intro maybe lets you know you're, you're, you've come into our world. Yeah. 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 You're still on the same spot. Yeah. And so sometimes I put myself in the frame a little bit. I'll be like, Oh, I should get in the frame. But my inclination is to say out of it. I'm not, um, I don't know. It's tough to know for sure. I don't think I'm like narcissistic. I wondered if I was, and I think even wondering if I was, was proof I wasn't, but I am not um, like hungry for a spotlight. Mm -hmm. So this doing a thing like this is outside of my comfort. But one, I also beg people to inter- be interviewed all day. I'm like, will you be on my show? Can I interview? Can I interview? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I notice the people that don't, there's people that say no, and they get sort of, they sort of write themselves out of history because I've done episodes that's featured on someone and I'll ask like, hey, can I interview you? And somebody won't do it. Mm-hmm. But then you can also tell maybe they're bummed. Like, are, like, are they bummed that they've like written themselves out of the story? Right, right. Like there's certain people that almost um, they want to be so elusive um, and that they there's nothing, nothing that reported on them. Like people want to hear from them so much. But but some some people rise, some people, the mystery works. But I think there's some people that will say no to me and then the thing will come out and they they forget they existed. And, you know, there's a little bit of me that's like, oh, yeah, I want people to remember that my show exists, you know, or that, like, my body of work exists. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just trying to say yes to stuff. But um, it's not. And and I, I want my show to exist, not as a not because um I want to be like famous or I want anyone to like care about me necessarily, but I want to be, I want to do the work. And there's been times where I wanted to do shows and nobody would let me. Yeah. And that could easily happen again. Um, I've been, you know, I've been thinking about that with the new job. The new episode got a lot of views. It was like, felt six, like it felt like a success. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the rug can be pulled out real fast. Like Vice could go out of business again or the checks could stop coming or the editors something. You know, you can get like rug pulled really quick. Mm -hmm. And it's good to be somebody that's open to interviews or a photo or a job or an opportunity. Because if you're open, you might get more. And if you're closed off. And another thing, this sounds this might sound terrible, but I, I think I'm at an age where I'm thinking about my own mortality and you're just like, you know, all, a lot of my friends are gone and everyone's, everyone's gotten so much younger that you're like, wow, we're really like closing in on the, not the end, but we're, 
like my back, like we were filming and I pulled my back trying to skate and I'm just limping around and everyone's young and, and, and I'm just like, man, we have a short window to like do stuff. Yeah. And some of it's going to be comfortable and some of it's uncomfortable, but like, especially in skateboarding, next thing you know, it's next thing you know, it could be over. Yeah. I, I, uh, I kind of like, um, I mean, there's a bunch of points I like that you said, but um, the thing that stuck out to me is that you like to do epically later because you like to do the work. Um, I That really resonates with me because I feel I feel the same about this. Like, um, like if it became famous for some reason, for because for some things like this, like some platforms like this, they just become big randomly. Because it's uh, kind of a completely oversaturated field, um, like that would be amazing. But I want it to continue to happen because I like to do it. Like I like to do the work. I like to edit them. I like to sit down with the people. I like to put it out. I like to hear the responses from people. Um, I enjoy seeking the guests, even though sometimes that sucks. Um, um, but like I, I enjoy the work. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's cool. Like you said, to just like, um, like, yeah, of course it's self-serving to sit down on an interview and like talk about it, but also like, yeah, you're just putting out into the world that, you know, you're being recognized, you're, you're talking about it. And, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a beneficial thing more than it is like, it doesn't have to be a reflective thing that is like, am I narcissistic or not? Cause like all the other people I interview aren't thinking that way. They're just like, Oh, this is my point where I can talk about my career or talk about what I've been doing. Yeah. When we were negotiating the show, I had a dollar amount I wanted per episode to get paid. And then the money, the number was lower. And I remember having this thing, like how low could the number go before where I would actually say no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I would say yes and be mad because I was like, the number could actually go pretty low because I want to make them. Right, right, right. Like, like you'd sacrifice. Yeah, you're just like, it sucks to say that's bad to say, maybe from negotiating, but it's just sort of like, I want to do these. And then it's tough because you work with people that need to be paid because the show is like my. Um, you know, it's like my, I'm the most passionate about my show. Mm -hmm. And then you got to figure out like, okay, the camera. So now we have Kai who's filming and Heath who's producing. They get a check. They get a check, but like, not their, well, now I feel like it is kind of their show, but the editor, the guy editing, or I don't know. There's this point where I'm getting, I don't know. Where I'm, I'm so excited to be making them that the money is not the thing that motivates me to like get filming, you know, especially because we're only being paid for a certain amount of days. Oh, so if you go over that, I don't care. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, these are free. Like, like the day where I go Monday, where I go film, film Corey Duffel, nobody's paying me to go film Corey Duffel. It's just like, right. It's just fun. And well, and it's it's just like I want the episode to be as good as possible. Mm-hmm. That if you actually 
if you actually started dividing up the hours in the paycheck, mm-hmm. nothing, you know, <laughs> but I, I, but I don't want to be one of those people that's like saying that for, um, to complain or to have anyone like feel bad. Yeah. Some people like throw around that kind of, we don't make any money. You don't understand. It's not the point. The point is like, I enjoy doing it so much that, um, I won't say the pay doesn't factor in, but like, I'm just, it's not, it's not like why anyone is doing any of this. You know, I mean, I'm sure it's the same with skater filming their video part. It's like, yeah, you, you can get paid or something, but I don't think like most skaters are letting that get in the way of kind of like uh, producing output or like making a video part or making something creatively that they care passionately about. Like the money's the money's just maybe like a nice bonus if it happens, but it's not like yeah, like you said, the work is its own reward. Yeah, it like allows them to just focus on their craft. But like, yeah, when someone's filming a skate part, they just like want it to be the best it can be. Um, especially, I mean, with something like skating, you're you're putting your body on the line. It's like a very intense like relationship. Um, so like if someone's like, oh, you're not getting any money for the next week you film for this part, they're like, all right, I still have to get these three tricks that I want. So they're going to do it. I mean, maybe there's some skaters that wouldn't, but um, I think if there's a skater that wanted their part to be a certain part for them, they're going to do it. I had this thing, I think rock rock stars deal with this even more or long distance hikers or something, but I'm going on a skate tour and then I come home and I'm kind of like depressed a little bit. And I noticed the last two days I've been a little like, the adrenaline runs off. Yeah, we we're just like filming, filming, grinding, filming, like yeah, going here, going there, going there. I was sleeping on Heath's couch. Uh, the care other Heath has two couches. It was like a bed and two couches, and he, it's like a studio apartment. And we're all just like in a room sleeping. Wake up, interview people, get home. And now that I'm finally home, I'm a little like, oh, like fuck, you know, a little bit. It's not like depressed, but it's just a little like, oh shit, it's really hard to change gears to yeah. go from like working to not working. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like uh, just a little like post tour depression. Yeah, I, I even have that with just like going on any vacation, really. Um, but yeah, something like that that uh, maybe even brings you back to a maybe a time you preferred not saying necessarily that you don't prefer your life now, but like brings you back to a certain time. It's funny. I just watched the Baker video and there's not a part of me that's like wants to go on the Baker tours anymore. Like, no, I, like, I don't know. I feel like if I was, on, I think I would do it if it was like the, the old gang, maybe I would. I always want to just peek in. Like I want to have like a day or two a tour. But I don't think I want, like, I don't know. And also, like, with this show, because I get to dip in with different people. So it's not yeah. like the same people over and over. It's like, but, um, 
then again, though, we're we're talking about future episodes, and I'm wanting to do people that are international and people where we can like travel. That would be and, really cool. <laughs> I keep saying that to Heath and Kai. I'm like, let's do that person. We'll get. I mean, we'll get to go to England. We'll get to go to Paris. Yeah, we'll yeah. To, we'll get to go to Portugal. Get out. Maybe we can get a hotel. <laughs> And like milk it, like add a bunch of extra days where we can like have dinner and sit by the ocean. Like, let's, and they'll be like, nah, I don't know about that skater. I'm like, yeah, but picture us <laughs> on this trip, picture us in a hotel in Paris <laughs> at the coffee shop, filming here and there over the course of like a week and a half. I don't know if we have the budget for all that, but um, it was just sort of me selling them on like uh like an adventure you know um i guess kind of to um wrap up um can you i don't know if you can say when you're when the next episode is coming out and if you can say who the next episode is or if that is not stefan janowski oh sick and stefan janowski's comes out uh Janowski, Stefan Janowski. <laughs> I pronounce his fucking name wrong. Um, I, I'm looking at my calendar. I think it comes out. I think it's going to come out May 11th, but I could definitely see that getting pushed. Which is, wait, I'm looking at the calendar. One, two. It's not coming out in three weeks. Why so far from Nuja's episode? Oh, um, I don't know. It's the editing. Okay. Like we just have good editors and they take a long time. And then there's something weird where they more than we used to edit them and they would go up the next day. They, they send them. Damn, up. Yeah. That's fast. Like once the editing was done, they would, they could go up. Yeah. But now I don't know. It's like color correction and like lawyers look at it and. There's bureaucracy that there didn't used to be. Yeah. Because we had Nuge's finished, completely finished early December, where I was like, it's locked, like it's good, it's done. And they were like, okay, cool, it's gonna go up January 1st. And I was like, and I think it had to do with the holidays too. Okay. They want Stefan's Stefan's episode is not finished. It's finished filming, but is not finished being edited. And then that would mean three weeks from wait, two weeks from now. Wait, one week, two weeks. I don't know. I don't. I just can't. I just can't see it going up that soon. But anyway, the next one's Stefan, sometime in February probably. And um, it's finished. It's just not. All the way. It's mostly edited. We've I've watched roughs where I'm like, oh, it's pretty close. Is that going to? Is that one of the thirty minute episodes? Yeah, it's right now. It's thirty minutes, and then Vice was like, the ideal length is twenty one minutes. And I was, <laughs> Ooh, that's a little. That's cutting too much out of this. That's I, we kind of have an edit where we put everything in, and it's intentionally too long. Mm -hmm. And then I start going through and cutting things. Mm -hmm. And I try not to cut anything funny. 
but usually it's people repeating the same points over and over. Like a bunch of people say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You just start trimming. I feel like he, that's a sick episode. I feel like you could, I mean, 21 minutes seems kind of tight for uh, him, but I guess. Problem. This is addressed in the episode, but the problem is I don't think no one has anything bad to say about him. He hasn't had any that, I mean, that we've touched on. There's no, or that we know about. There's no like, struggle you know he's an amazing oh okay so it's like one dimensional it's not one i mean they're all different they're all different and so i like i like the uniqueness of this one he's different than um others i mean he's just different than other skaters so i enjoy the challenge and the uh that that the episode isn't formulaic, right? Yeah, yeah. There's like a lot of formulaic episodes where you're just like punching in. And so having somebody that uh, everyone likes, his peers like, everyone looks up to, everyone's friends with him. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of success. Also, also, there's a big chunk of the episode is based on his, his pro shoe. Yeah, which was a very like pivotal. Um, I mean, people that knew know nothing about skating. Uh, so then it's weird to do an episode that's so like based on a product, hmm. which m- makes me insecure because it's going to look like we're making a like a Nike commercial, but we're really not. We just are interested. It's just an interesting. It's like Shark Tank or. Um, a documentary on a like the Air Jordan or an Atari yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A history of like Disneyland. You know, yeah. there's a product, but it's also interesting. So um part of me watched it and was like, oh, everyone's gonna think this is like a like Nike paid us to make this, which they didn't. <laughs> but um it you know, you're like, oh, who knows? But uh I think it's cool to take risks and do something different. So that's awesome. And then some of them, the one after that is even is the opposite or something. But, um, but then again, I had all these fucking things I was afraid people would say about Nuges and I haven't read every comment, but I've read some and no one seems to say the thing that I was afraid everyone would say. So sometimes I build these like stories up in my head of, my yeah. own critique, like my own critique of it or what people are going to think. Mm-hmm. So with Nuges, I was like, everyone knows this stuff already. So everyone knows there's already a El Toro mini doc on YouTube. There's already a Baxter street um, thrasher piece yep. that has like three, 3 million views. There's yeah. already a story about him crashing the van that people were going to watch and go already knew this. Like, why did you make this? I already, this is known, like, I already knew all this shit. And then I didn't really see it. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I didn't read every fucking thing, but I just, no one, that was a story I made up in my head or or maybe a challenge I was working around. So yeah, with Stefan's, it's just going to be like, oh, this is just Nike paid paid advertisement, which it's not, but 
that's my fear. But then I showed it to my wife and she loves shoes and she likes, everyone likes this like, or I like sort of fantasy watching something, even if it's like, like a bank robbery, you know, you like imagine yourself as the person. Mm -hmm. So Stefan is someone, you know, that had a lot of success and stuck to his guns and was like principled and then made a lot of money that it's a lot of wish fulfillment that you can kind of watch it and go like, wow, wouldn't that be cool to have? So we'll see. I can't, I don't know. It might be like the, it might be like the air for skateboarding. Like the, you know, did you see that movie air? Like, it was like about like Nike, like ma- like allowing Jordan to make their first basketball silhouette. I got to I should watch it right now, but I don't know because like Nike was. I mean, maybe Nike was chilling before the Janowski, but the Janowski like blew Nike up for skateboarding. I, everyone I knew owned Janowskis, even my friends that weren't skating. Um, yeah, I didn't like. I don't. I was pretty I never owned the shoe, but I knew it was it was great. And people said it skated really well. So well, I I had at that time didn't wear Nikes because I worked for other brands and stuff and was just like wouldn't. and then I remember distinctly being seeing one and like coveting it like, oh man, I want one of those. Oh come on, hook me up. It's like a clean shoe. It like it was just like a perf it looked like a perfect shoe. I remember the like black one that had like the like the blue, like just a blue check. It was like very clean. And um, I was like, oh, that was nice. I hated all like the crazy color ones. But um, yeah, my friends were always like these shoes skate the best and they were very lightweight. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was a perfect shoe, I guess. Yeah, I'm worried. It's, I'm worried it's going to come out. But I can't. The good thing about doing a bunch of episodes at a time. <laughs> you just can block it out. There was like, Well, there was like pressure on the Nuge one because it was first. Yeah. But like, it was heartwarming. I think I can get to a point where I can put out one, and if people don't like it, then there's another another one. Yeah, and you take chances and you take risks because in our lineup, there's some real curveballs and some real ones. A couple, you know, where I'm like, is this even that that someone might think some of them suck, and that's that's okay. And that's, that's good. That's, and that's good. Uh, a risk I have to take because I can't just do skate legends anymore. Nuge and Janowski are skate legends, but there's, you know, here and there, there's going to have to be episodes of people that aren't like beloved legends of skateboarding, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, I think it's nice to take risks and also you get a different demographic that way as well, which is really important. Like, some of the skaters coming up are younger are not established like that. And then some are like, people might think they're an asshole or like, I don't know, but I'm trying to hit different, you know? Yeah. yeah. We'll try to avoid boring myself with like a formula and like taking some chances. Hey.